0: You are listening to the Nirvana podcast, episode 9, When Grunge Broke. Hello everybody and welcome to the Nirvana podcast. My name is Sietse, And I'm Jiditja. And what we do here is we make a journey through the history and the music of Nirvana, the rock band. And last time we had a double episode about the Nevermind album. So we focused uh, a bit more on the music. And I think this time we're going to uh, dive a bit more into the the stories and the the history um, around that time, um, early 1990s. So I think uh, we're gonna pick up our um, story Right after uh, the band finished uh, recording the Nevermind album, it hadn't been released yet. They worked nope. uh, on it uh, uh, through May of 1991. After that, there was a bit of a strange period. So they were still basically an unknown band, but looking back at it, we already know that soon everything would change and they, the whole world would get to know them. So I think it's, it's interesting to look back at it now.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and what's also interesting is the fact that they recorded, like you said, in May, and I think sort of the beginning of June as well. It took a bit of time before the album came out, but they actually did go on tour, which is also yeah. interesting, but uh, slightly weird because they would also already do new material. But since the new record wasn't out yet, the audience would know their old songs wouldn't know their new songs yet so it's touring when your album isn't released yet is is also like a weird way of gaining a new audience
0: yeah you're right there's just like a weird in between period um, yep. in in june july and august of 1991 uh, in june and july they didn't do that much i think they did a couple of gigs and i think uh, apart from that the most notable thing that happened is that uh, kurt Cobain got kicked out of his house
1: <laughs> oh yeah, it's true I forgot about that story but
0: <laughs> Yeah, which I think later um, Added to uh, to the legend That he was like a, a homeless person And a bum, you know
1: <laughs> Exactly <laughs> Sleeping on the dead bridge
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah <laughs> I think um, most of the time He slept with friends Maybe he spent a few nights in his car It's possible But that's as far uh, as it goes And then in um, August And... Uh, They went on tour with uh, Sonic Youth, their heroes and their label and management mates uh, by now. Sonic Youth just asked them to come along to Europe because, well, they liked uh, Nirvana a lot. I think the cool thing about that is that it's been documented pretty well because they also uh, invited a friend of theirs uh, to come along with a with a video eight camera to uh, to shoot some images and maybe uh, release it as like a, a touring movie, uh, which probably yep. wouldn't have attracted that much attention. But since Nirvana would take over the world pretty soon after that, it got <laughs> exactly. a lot of attention. Yeah.
1: If you don't know about that documentary or haven't seen it, it's called 1991: The Year Punk Broke. It's quite widely available, and um, if you're interested in in well, not just Nirvana, but seeing uh, a lot of bands on tour, um, getting to know uh, not just their music and the people in there, but also sort of a glimpse of what tour life can be in, especially on festivals. It's a uh, it's a great documentary to uh, to watch.
0: Yeah, yeah, check it out. I, I know some of it is on YouTube. I don't know if the whole documentary is on YouTube, but you can no,
1: not sure. You can find
0: some clips uh, of it f- for sure.
1: Yeah, and it's it's out on DVD as well so you can you can buy it on DVD
0: it's really chaotic and that's <laughs> the way um, the bands were and that's also the way the the movie turned out so that's really uh, so that's really cool um, I was looking um, at an interview the other day with um, the maker of the documentary and some of the members of Sonic Youth and um, mm-hmm. in it they said that they immediately saw that Nirvana really stepped up their game they had seen them play before but they recognized that now they were at another level and they mostly credited uh, Dave Grohl for it
1: <laughs> wow it's interesting
0: the impression I get from the movie uh, is that they were drunk a lot of the times <laughs> uh, but also <laughs> yeah. that they had a, a lot of fun and the atmosphere was, was really really great and um, I think uh, Nirvana was in a really good place at that moment.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It feels like they were relaxed and having fun. And and also the fact that, I mean, playing with Sonic Youth and obviously Dinosaur Jr. was there as well because they played with Dinosaur Jr. before in um, the USA as well, I think, just before they went to Europe. Yeah. Uh, a couple of other bands, um, just hanging out with friends and musicians and, and enjoying the festival atmosphere as well. And it also captured them, not just just before they got really big, but also uh, just before, and we'll talk about that later. This episode, I think, uh, just before the, the the touring became really tiresome and and really taking a toll on Nirvana yeah. and also the other bands. I think so. Yeah. Yeah.
0: At, at this point, it was still fun. Um, I've lined up an audio clip from the documentary in which um, Kim Gordon, I think, is singing um, Negative Creep, the Nirvana song. Mm -hmm. And um, well, let's have a listen to it first and then we can uh, talk a bit about it. Yeah, I think that's about enough. Um, we're not playing it because it's such a great version of the song, but, uh, I wanted to, um, highlight it because it shows that they were in it together. It wasn't like, uh, Sonic Youth was the big band. Well, they were, but they didn't act like it. I mean, yep. they were, they were really treating each other as equals and, you know, participating in each other's uh, show. Um, there's a, a scene in the documentary in which, uh, Thurston Moore, the singer of Sonic Youth, uh, pulls out Kurt um, uh, from uh, the audience after he did a stage dive. Stuff like that. They were really yep. um, looking after each other.
1: They always watched each other's uh, sets, I think, and and gave feedback on that, and and just basically take care of them. So that's good. If for yeah. people who are interested in in Sonic Youth and and well this period, but also more like that. Kim Gordon actually wrote a autobiography a couple of years ago, um, which I can really recommend because it, it gives really a great insight in, in well, not just the band and, and her as a person, but in general, the whole atmosphere of, of that era as well. So um, do go and look for that if you're interested. I think it's called Girl in the Band, Girl in a Band. Sorry, not sure. Something like that is the title. Okay, oh, sounds cool. I, I haven't
0: read it, I must, uh, I must admit, but maybe uh, Maybe I will.
1: We'll put uh, the title and the link on, uh, on the Facebook page uh, as soon as I uh, <laughs> can rectify if I have uh, the title right. Yeah, and if you listen
0: to this and you think, ooh, there's a Facebook page. Yes, there is. It's uh, facebook.com slash Nirvana podcast. And, uh you can um, give us the thumbs up to stay up to date and also uh, send us a message if you like. If you have a question or a request or a comment or uh, or whatever, uh, we always like to interact with our uh, listeners. Um, oh, and one more uh, warning about uh, this podcast. Um, like I said, last time we uh, discussed the Nevermind album and then we had really good, clean... Well produced clips of the, of the songs. Uh, you won't <laughs> find those in <laughs> this podcast because it's more about, uh, live performances and rarities and strange things that, uh, happened uh, on the road. So, uh, <laughs> buckle up for some, uh, crappy, uh, audio quality.
1: <laughs> yeah. But that, that, that makes it fun.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like I said, well, if, if you want, uh, if you just want to hear, uh, let's talk about the, the really well-produced music. Just uh, uh, go back to the uh, podcast we've made about the Nevermind album. We've also did a double yep. uh, podcast about the Bleach album. I think in the end we will discuss um, every Nirvana album in a, in a double uh, show. So uh, yep. stay tuned. Um, speaking of crappy audio, I've got another one uh, <laughs> ready for you cool. guys. Um, this is from that same tour. Um Nirvana had started playing uh, Molly's Lips, a song from the Vaselines, a band Kurt absolutely adored, live. And uh, they had a chance to sing it together with uh, Eugene Kelly, uh, who's from the Vaselines. And uh, uh, in one show, uh, he actually joined Nirvana on stage um, to to sing the song. And Kurt uh, later described this moment as uh, one of the happiest moments in his life. So despite uh, the poor audio quality, I think we should have a listen to it. I think it's safe to say that uh, these were pretty happy times uh, for the band. And I think one of their absolute highlights was their uh, performance at the um, Reading Festival. Uh, I think that show at the Reading Festival was um, like the foreshadowing of Nirvana Mania that was about to happen. Yep. Well, they were there in the slipstream of Sonic Youth and the other bands on the tour. Um, They played on a pretty big stage, but I think early in the afternoon, something like that. They didn't have the best uh, slot to, to play in, but the crowd absolutely uh, adored them.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it's it's also interesting because if um, um, you hear us talk about Reading now, Reading's like one of the biggest outdoor festivals in the UK, um, and they play there again the year after. Which is um, a legendary as well, and and released on DVD and whatever. We'll get to that later. Um, so don't confuse the two. It's Reading '91, and there's Reading '92 as well. <laughs> there's obviously, like you said, there's a difference because by that time they become a really huge band, and this was the moment where they it it just started to take off. So yeah, it was. It's, it's a really, it's a great performance um, of, of the band. You feel it's the band that, um, that we're getting to know after the release and the success of, of Nevermind, but still with that sort of loose, happy-go-lucky feeling of, of enjoying um, an audience that enjoys what they are doing.
0: Yeah. And it's weird to think that this was basically like the last moment, um, in which, uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit was just another yep. one of their songs. So I have, I have two, um, uh, clips from the, uh, Reading, uh, uh performance, uh, lined up. Uh, and it's up to you to choose. They did a really weird, funny, uh, part of, uh, the, uh, the end, the song of the doors. Uh, or uh, we could listen to um, the end of their performance, which was the song uh, Endless Nameless, in which uh, Kurt uh, eventually uh, dived into the drum set, <laughs> which became a pretty uh, famous uh, uh, image and, uh, and moment. Exactly. Um, so it's up to you. Do you want to listen to Endless Nameless
1: or the um, end? Let's go for the end, just because it's weird. <laughs> What can we say about it? Uh, uh, I, I, I think it's it's well. It's interesting that he in he he obviously tries to to mimic uh, <laughs> James Morrison's uh, um, uh, uh, sound, um, and um, later on he he probably did that again. Um, at the Peel Sessions, but with Morrissey from the Smiths, um, because there he also tries. That that's that's a singer who who also has like a deep, uh, dramatic voice, and you hear him trying to mimic that as well. So for some reason, I think Kurt was having fun with trying to mimic the sounds of of other singers, and this sounds a bit like. Well, a joke, obviously, but yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, they uh, a couple of months later in Belgium, they would uh, uh, do this, uh, well, quote-unquote, cover version as well. And then Krishna uh, Selig <laughs> did uh, the spoken word part from the song, uh, starting oh, right? off yeah. with uh, the killer woke up in Belgium and he put a lot of syrup on his waffles. <laughs> um, <Yep. laughs> yeah, go look it up uh, on YouTube. It's, it's really uh, It's really funny. Um, so after uh, they did the Reading Festival, um, they uh, moved over to the mainland of uh, of Europe, and then they showed up in the Netherlands again. Um, yes. Well, we're we're both Dutch, and uh, well, one of our things in this show is that we try to take as much <laughs> uh, credit for our country uh, <laughs> for the for the <laughs> legend of Nirvana as we as we can. So uh, exactly. Yeah, we like to uh, to. Uh, to uh, I stress a bit that uh, the Dutch had their influence. Um, this was a really weird show. They went to uh, to Rotterdam yes. to uh, the Doelen, and mm-hmm. um, there was a festival going on there, Ein Abend in yep. Wien. I don't know why it called that.
1: I, uh, it wasn't um, in Wien, it uh, yeah, was I- in Rotterdam. No, it, it was, um, I can explain a bit about that. I have actually, um, I'll put a, a picture of it on the on the Facebook as well, but I have the um, official CD that was made back then for the festival as a promotion thingy. Okay. Um, because this was a, um, um, a festival that was devised by a couple of big festival organizers in the Netherlands to try and make... A combination between music, spoken word, poetry, theatre, stuff like that. Um, It was only done once um, and the Doula, the the place where it was in Rotterdam, has like uh, different uh, rooms, different venues. So they did this for two days and they had uh, a big lineup in uh, different rooms. Uh, So it had like the festival atmosphere Um, and the whole thing of the name was that they uh just wanted it to make it f- feel um like special and sort of mm. obscure <laughs> yeah, well, uh, so the rooms had like well. um yeah the rooms had like like Austrian and German names as well stuff like that um and they only did this once but it was uh, sort of the test version for what would later become our lowlands festival. Um, which is, in fact, like the biggest festival in the Netherlands since 1993, with um, also not just music, but poetry, theater, uh, spoken words, stuff like that. Uh, so this was sort of a, a tryout for that, I guess. Um, and back then, it was um, pretty heavily uh, advertised, especially by uh, OR, which is our music uh, magazine. Um, so that's where the CD city- came came from that was like a promotion Um, so or came with the CD which had a lot of the bands that would be playing at an Abington Bean uh, on it interestingly enough there is like no exactly (laughs) that was what I was about to say there's 18 um, tracks on here by 18 different artists and Nirvana isn't one of them Um, Sonic Youth isn't either, Dinosaur Jr. is on here Um, some other Freddie um, Johnson is on their um, uh, British bands like Jesus Jones and the Stuff, um, NWA, interestingly enough um, so really eclectic, <laughs> I don't know why Nirvana isn't on here uh, they were uh, sort of known here as well uh, Yeah, Cudigia's but the last time
0: they uh, were in the Netherlands and performed here um, they didn't make a very good impression, so I think
1: No, that's true
0: most uh, people weren't <laughs> that excited about them. So that's probably why. <laughs> no, um, but could,
1: could please
0: uh, tell our listeners yeah. uh, how they can win this uh, unique CD.
1: <laughs> they cannot win it because I'm really proud to still own it.
0: <laughs> <Okay>. But <laughs> if you offer a lot so, of money, uh, you're probably willing to sell it, right?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> i'm
0: no, sorry it's, it's a... really
1: interesting yeah though no, it's fun <laughs> it's, i i i didn't get to go there unfortunately uh I, I would have loved to but um but like you said it was uh a kind of a weird festival and also um the different rooms and the fact that they combined uh different art forms uh was problematic as well because by the time that nirvana had to play um, there was actually uh, one of my other musical heroes, Nick Cave, uh, was there as well. And he did, uh, he didn't perform, but he did a poetry reading, um, which was obviously um, not that loud because it was just him and the microphone. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and Nirvana couldn't start playing in the other room because they would have drowned out the sound of Nick Cave reading <laughs> his work. In the other room, which is kind of funny because Nick Cave, uh, especially during that time, if he'd been there with a band, he would probably have drowned out Nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, he was just there, and um, apparently, Nirvana got really tired of waiting and and did start to play earlier than Nick Cave was fin- finished. <laughs> Um, I don't know what happened. There is no stories about them getting into a fight later on. So I think that sort of <laughs> went okay. But, but there
0: are a lot of other stories uh, surrounding that performance. Exactly. Um, <laughs> first, just to get an impression, impression about um, of uh, what um, um, at least uh, uh, Dave Grohl and Chris Novoselic were doing backstage. Uh, let's listen to a <laughs> bit of audio from that. There's ice, ice, ice for everyone. You don't find ice in Holland. I love my ice. Then I'll drink the beer. But no, I'll share the beer.
1: And I'll share the wine. Would you like to have a glass of wine? I would love to have your wine. All the
0: potato chips. I will eat the chips. There are three flavors. I'll eat them all. And a box of juice. Would you like some? your
1: juice is doing something for me I want to shake the juice, till
0: it first <laughs> yeah, they were uh, really drunk I think and really uh, uh, well, you could call it funny, you could call it annoying, there's a story from <laughs> other bands who were there uh, that weren't too happy because they uh, tried to steal beer from their dressing room and I believe they fell yeah. over and then he accused of somebody tripping him and then Ah, they were uh, pretty annoying, and it had its um, um, well, its influence on the show. It was, it was more uh, a bit of performance art than a rock show, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah. Kurt had found well, those, it, those it, it white. fit the team.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, Kurt found those white doctor's coats backstage and decided to wear oh, one yeah. of those. So it looked a bit yep. weird, and the show itself was really uh, chaotic. Um, some of the footage uh, ended up in the video clip for Lithium. So yep. uh, maybe people have seen that. Uh, you can, uh, Of course, you can find it on YouTube. And uh, look for the footage in which uh, Kurt wears a white doctor's coat. Um, at one point, he's banging his head against the amplifiers. and Yeah, it's really, really intense and, and, and chaotic.
1: They weren't on stage until um, uh, 11.30 at night. So they would have had plenty of time before that to basically drink and, and trash stuff already.
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh, apparently they did. <laughs> um, <Yep. laughs> yeah, so let's listen to how that sounded. This is a, a, a weird moment from the show. Uh, I think Kurt's guitar broke down uh, during uh, About a Girl and uh, this is how they fixed it. I think that uh, says something about uh, how the show went down. I, I must say, I, I do like um, the moment where the guitar comes back in and he launches into the solo. But uh, apart from that, I think yeah. nobody would have believed it if you had said that, well, within a couple of months, this will be the biggest band in the world. <laughs> no. <laughs> so... Um, Pretty soon after that, uh, a little over a week, um, we had a release of the uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit single. They had already uh, mm-hmm. recorded the, the video, um, uh, I think two or three, three weeks uh, uh, earlier. Um, well,
1: yeah, but the video didn't come out until, like, I think just after the single, because it, it first, um, um, it debuted on on like the radios, um, but it wasn't until the video came out that it really took flight. Um, and there was some time in between um, because the video uh, had its its own premiere uh, on MTV. So
0: yeah, and um, so it it's, it still wasn't a big event. It, it was still like no. the the things were moving and. and yep the momentum was building you could say looking back at it but it wasn't a big deal the the, the release of the single in fact as we said earlier uh, people never expected this song to be the big hit it was more like the first introduction and then they would follow it up with come as you are and that would maybe become a a bigger success and help them reach a broader uh, audience but on uh, September the tenth, uh, the Smells Like Teen uh, Spirit single got released. Um, uh, three days later, um, they had a record release party for for Nevermind, which was. Yep. Okay, here's here's the thing with this podcast. There are so many stories. I mean, we could talk about yep. <laughs> re- the recording of the Smells Like Teen Spirit video for ten minutes. Um yep. The record release party is another um, now by now famous uh, story. As they got kicked yep. out
1: of their own <laughs> <laughs> party. Exactly. And, and maybe it's, um, um, at least it's, it's interesting to note um, uh, because I don't think that everybody realizes that, that uh, usually if you have a record release party, um, it's about the record, not about the band. So that means that what you do is you gather people to listen to, the actual record together so at a record release party the band doesn't play um they might in this case they didn't sometimes they might do like one song or whatever but it's all about the record um which is already kind of awkward just going into a room uh, with a lot of um people from the record companies and radios and whatever and just collectively listening to your own record (laughs) um and especially for a band like Nirvana who loved doing live shows. So you can imagine that that would already be quite awkward for them. Um, <laughs> sort of, to, to, um, I won't say that's the only reason why they misbehaved, but it, it didn't help.
0: <laughs> no, they um, they in the end, they finally convinced the DJ to stop playing uh, Never nevermind and start some, playing some uh, disco tunes um they started <laughs> exactly. a, food, uh, a food fight and um, yeah then uh, eventually they were uh, asked uh, to leave the party and <laughs> the rest of the night yes. is, they ended up with some friends uh, misbehaving over there uh, but it was uh, yep. quite a yep. quite an a, a event um uh. in a way you could say that just a couple of days later there was more of a Record release party um, that they would have liked because they were asked exactly. to do an, uh, a show in a uh, in a record uh, store called uh, the Beehive, and yep, I think this is an, yeah I, I, I think this is an important moment because um, later um, Kurt, I think the other members of the band also said that during this show they first realized that they could become a lot bigger than they expected to. Yep, And things were getting a bit crazy already because they, <laughs> yep. they thought maybe 50 kids would show up for the sh- uh, and to see the performance. But then uh, over 200 uh, people showed up. People ripped posters off the wall just so they had a piece of paper that the band could sign. Um, Kurt was asked to sign something by two guys um, he went to school with. He felt really, <laughs> really awkward about that. So yep. this was like their first moment in which they thought, wow, this is actually going somewhere and (laughs) things are getting a bit out of hand and it it might become a bit out of our control, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, and don't forget that uh, by playing in a record store, like usually record store uh, performances are for smaller bands because also the the audience is really close to you. if you compare that to to um, the Reading Festival or whatever, where you have uh, a bigger audience, but they're not that close to you, they're pretty far mm. away. So you don't uh, feel it the same way as that you would be in a record store getting mobbed by 200 kids who are actually like at, at 20 centimeters distance from, from you. And like you said, like ripping, ripping stuff from you and whatever.
0: Yeah. Um... I think they later also said that um, it was like the turning point that they realized that they were no longer uh, in the, they were no longer part of those of that crowd. They were actually idolized by that crowd a bit more. that yep. felt uncomfortable for them as well because they always felt like uh, peers like one of them yep. and all of a sudden that that changed. I think uh, the scene where they came from, they probably weren't asked to sign autographs at all. Because it wasn't <laughs> no. a cool thing to do. And you didn't <laughs> exactly. idolize anybody. Everybody was more or less equal. Um, yeah. So um, so let's listen to Nirvana play um, at the Beehive Record Store in uh, Seattle. Here's a, here's a bit from a Something in a Way.
1: This episode and i think it's um i like the fact how you can um uh still uh evoke that feeling that's on the record in this live version um even though it's obviously different and and Probably difficult to play like this as well, especially in, in a record store like that. But it's it does have that same sort of feeling, which I find very interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I like it as well. Um, and from this point on, it was basically just one big streak of touring for uh, for the band. Yeah. Uh, first, they toured uh, North America. And a lot of stuff uh, happened there uh, as well, um, in uh, October they had a very famous incident with uh, with a bouncer. Um, this is also uh, oh, right, yeah, it's very <laughs> uh, um, notable <laughs> on uh, on YouTube, um, in which uh, Kurt jumped into the audience during Love Buzz, and then a bouncer or security guy. Um, he well, in Kurt's words, he said that he pretended to uh, try to rescue him and help him get yep. back on stage, but secretly he was um, uh, pulling his hair or, or, or uh, punching him or yep, something whatever. like that. And then uh, Kurt took his guitar and smashed him right in the face. And then uh, that guy, um, well, he started uh, beating up Kurt and then you see in a pretty uh, heroic shot. <laughs> you see Dave Gold jumping <laughs> off his drum set to uh, yep. to, to help his singer out. And then I believe the... <laughs> The bouncer got uh, had, to, had to go to the hospital, but then he came back and wanted to uh, get his revenge on the band, and they had <laughs> exactly. to make their getaway in a in a taxi. Yeah. So it was it were really crazy yeah. times, I think, for the, for
1: the band. <laughs> Yeah, a lot, a lot of fighting going on
0: <laughs> Yeah, so so things were getting more and more out of hand, I think.
1: And they uh, during that time. Um like we said, the the Teen spirit video was released, and that slowly became like a really big success. Like you said, we can't like <laughs> we can't discuss everything. Maybe we'll get to discussing video clips sometime in the future, uh, more in depth. But um, what was clear was that that really helped um, the song. Um, I think it's it's interesting that that like you read interviews with people involved in that say like yeah the song like the song wasn't made by the video because the song was great on its own as well um and and i totally agree but especially during those times having a video clip that was um interesting or stood out uh helped people to listen to the song as well um so that really creeped up in the charts uh over the world basically um which was weird for the band, I think, because they were getting more and more popular and they sort of realized it. But then again, at the same time, they didn't because they were touring. Um, but I think Kurt said it in one of the interviews, like then getting into a different hotel room and turning on the TV and just basically all of a sudden seeing your own video clip, music video, repeated everywhere. Yeah was sort of a weird, (laughs) weird moment to realize like, okay, this is like we're touring and we're tired and whatever, but this is happening, I guess. Um, Yeah,
0: and apparently the first time um, Kurt saw his own video on TV, he was really happy about it. I believe he called his mom and he said, look, (laughs) it's it's me, hey, it's me again, (laughs) which was pretty, pretty funny. Um, Later, I think he felt awkward about it, especially yep. because MTV, um, wasn't too keen on playing it at first, but then they put it into heavy rotation. So it was yep. on and on. They kept on um, playing it. And also don't forget, like you said, um, the video was really important to promote the single. Um, and Kurt didn't just write the music and the lyrics and, and stuff like that. He also came up with the concept for the video. Yep. He actually made some changes in uh, the way it was edited. I've read that he uh, really wanted to add that last shot of his face um, mm-hmm. in, at, at the end, um, which I think was like a really good move to help people um, to help build his image and to help um, people exactly. actually recognize him and the yep. band and, and what they were. I mean, it's... Uh, yeah, it's not, it's, it's not a just a guy image.
1: with hair in front of his face, but <laughs> an actual person you know, with with feelings. And I mean, yeah,
0: yeah. And then um, during the end of, of uh, towards the end of September, um, the album got got released and yep. uh, started climbing up the charts. Um, they they didn't have enough, so it it, it went too fast to um, actually. Um, get their promotion started, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the album got released and the promotion campaign wasn't in full gear yet, but it already started to sell out because they didn't have enough albums because they didn't expect <laughs> to sell that many. <laughs> so that was um, there was something that was happening. So they were um, slowly climbing up the chart, but that wasn't because their popularity started to grow slowly it was because their popularity started to grow so fast that they couldn't actually yep. um, uh, provide enough albums uh, for, the, for the demand no. That <laughs> no it just exploded but they were touring and touring and touring and I think um, while they were still in the United States they probably could still you know um, uh, understand what was happening because it wasn't that big just yet and they were still in touch because they were in their own country but then they um, moved um, back over to the UK and I think that's where things really (laughs) got weird because they were in a different country, they were playing relatively small venues while at the same moment in their home country they were becoming superstars so that was really really strange uh, I think Mm -hmm.
1: And, and that was slowly happening in Europe as well. Uh, but their European, like if you look at their European tour schedule, it was grueling. <laughs> uh, yeah. Not just the amount of dates, but, but also um, uh, I think that the, um, something that that um, people from, from the U.S. don't realize is like Europe might it's like, <laughs> Europe is different countries, um, so traveling between different um, uh, countries in Europe might be like the same distance as traveling between different states in the U.S. Um, but the differences are bigger, um, mainly also because the languages are different. Um, yeah, the currencies which are different. Which can be... Uh, exactly. Difference. So... Yeah, yeah, definitely. So there's there's big differences when you go from one city to another in uh, Europe. Um, and you can see if you look at their tour schedule that like they started in the UK, then went to mainland Europe, but then went back to the UK again, uh, went back to mainland Europe. Again. It's... Um, it, it it's definitely a schedule that would drive you crazy because you have no idea anymore where you are. All of those countries are foreign to you. The languages uh, are mostly foreign to you. Um, There's pretty big so cultural differences. It, exactly. Big cultural differences. But at the same time, they were getting bigger and bigger in Europe as well. So there was, like you said, smaller venues, but more and more people showing up. Um, lots of interviews they had to do, um, lots of like radio and TV stuff. Um, it it sounds like um, <laughs> that, that whole idea of, of, like the tour schedule sounds like uh, the sort of tour schedule that you'd have like, oh, we're a small band and we wanna do everything because we wanna be bigger. But then because they were already becoming bigger, um, they still had to say yes to everything
0: (laughs) it was already booked so
1: exactly felt that
0: they had to do it
1: definitely and they were in demand so i mean you're not gonna say no um, because you're big enough already um i mean they did skip some stuff but i mean it's it it's sort of a a horrible place to be in between and a great place at the same time so (laughs) It, um, I, you can imagine that it took its toll on them as well.
0: Yeah, and it, it definitely did. Um, so you already mentioned that they did uh, radio and TV uh, performances uh, uh, yep. in Europe. Um, let's check out a couple of them. Uh, first they did a John Peel session, which was actually mm-hmm. their, uh, their third for the BBC uh, radio. Um, Interestingly enough, they didn't just play songs from Nevermind, their new album that they were promoting. Uh, they came up with an um, with an entirely new song uh, that uh, is called "Dumb," uh, and I suppose everybody knows it from either the Euro album or the Unplugged album. But at this moment, it hadn't been released yet. I don't know why they choose to do it, but um, it does make an interesting listen because it uh, yeah it's an uh, it's an early version. you'd like to say about these uh, these sessions
1: um well i i find it interesting that uh listening to this um um it doesn't sound as bad as some of the other sessions and also i know that they stay stay tuned
0: for another session (laughs) that doesn't sound as good (laughs)
1: um no like you mentioned this is like the third time they were at at the john peel sessions uh sessions radio sessions that are like famous all over the world and and a lot of them have been released as well a uh, really important place to be for bands um they d- done two great ones and um i've read that like the 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 the, the whole um uh team of the peel sessions really had a hard time with this third one because it didn't go as well as planned and kurt was was not really responsive and whatever and then you listen to this one's like hmm it's it's not it's it's, not it's sort of okayish, no and and also i think that maybe because this was a new song uh it might have sounded um like undefinable to to the you guys i can imagine uh but yeah, now maybe the
0: band itself hearing it yeah wasn't used to playing it just yet they didn't really exactly. have it yeah. all all figured out No. Nope. But it, it does sound pretty good. By the way, um, there's an interesting book about uh, this um, period in the history of, uh, of uh, Nirvana called uh, Nirvana, a tour diary. Uh, it's written by a guy called Andy Bollum. And back in the day, he was the drummer for a band called Captain America. It, it's a very well-written and funny book. Um, he, he kept a diary while they were touring together because um, Captain America was the new... Uh, band from uh, Eugene Kelly from the Vaseline's we heard in the beginning of the podcast and uh, uh, Nirvana invited them to be their uh, their support act and Andy Ballen basically describes it as that he got to be the drummer for the band pretty much by accident Um, (laughs) but he uh, was hanging out with Kurt in the dressing room and they both kept a diary so you know that they bonded over that I I suppose and um, yeah, it gives an interesting um, insight in what went on behind the scenes. Um, yep. One of the things he says is that um, that sometimes people have the impression that Nirvana wasn't really into it and they were cranky yep. all the time and grumpy and, uh, and mm-hmm. by this time, a lot of the fun they had in the beginning may have disappeared a bit, but they were really yep. devoted to their fans. I mean, Kurt was having health problems. He had a uh, um, yep. uh, lots of problems with his stomach. He had problems with his voice, um, but he was really, um, he really insisted on doing the shows because he didn't want to let the fans down. At one point, yep. um, a, a doctor told him to stop performing because he was ruining his voice. But he still uh, kept on, kept on doing it for for a long time. Yep. And also, he describes the, the craziness that was starting to build around the band. So um, if you want to read more uh, about that, check out uh, that book, Nirvana, A Tour Diary. Um, By the way, um, uh,
1: on Facebook as well. Yeah. Cool.
0: We're going our Facebook uh, social media (laughs) team. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Got a lot of stuff to do. Um, Oh, I also wanted to say that uh, perhaps people know uh, uh, pictures of uh, Kurt uh, wearing a Captain America T-shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not because he was a fan of the comic character Captain America that most people will know now, uh, probably because of the uh, Marvel uh, movies that became really, uh, really popular. Um, but he was referring to the band and yep. um, Kurt knew that he had a, a bigger audience now and that one day they had a photo shoot. So he intentionally wore that T-shirt to uh, to promote his uh, his friends in another band so that was pretty pretty cool exactly
1: yeah he did that quite often the rest of the band as well um because they had this feeling like okay we're really big now but there's a lot of bands and friends out there who are just as good as we are um, and they deserve a bit of attention as well so they they really had this period of of wearing lots of shirts from other bands to just try and get them across as well and help their sales so not just being nice to their own fans but also being nice to their colleagues which uh, i think is great
0: yeah absolutely um one funny thing that um annie bolland writes in this book is that um he was in touch with his mom and there were already Mm -hmm. a lot of uh, rumors flying around uh, about nirvana and uh, especially uh, kurt cobain with his drug problems and whatnot. And then uh, Andy said to his mother, Well, they're actually really nice, polite, funny guys. You would like them. Uh, and then they did their first TV performance in the UK <laughs> on a show called uh, The World. And then uh, Kurt decided to uh, to introduce Smells Like Teen Spirit in a very uh, special <laughs> way. Here's what he said. Yep. all you people in this room know that Courtney Love, the lead singer of the sensational pop group Hole, is the best fuck in the world. So that that, that became a thing, right? That moved them over <laughs> um, uh, from like the, the music press to the tabloids and there was some exactly. outrage, I believe, about this.
1: Yep especially in the UK, things like this are, uh, are uh, in, regarded even worse than in a lot of other countries for some reason. So <laughs> they like being outraged about this kind of stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah. And there's also a weird story behind this because um, a couple of months before, uh, Kurt had met this girl, Mary Lou Lord, um, in Boston when they were uh, touring there. And she more or less became his girlfriend it mm-hmm. kind of depends on whose story you're listening to. Uh, but they hung out together that's for sure and she actually flew to the UK to be with him. so there was some serious stuff going on. and she didn't hardly she hardly knew about the existence of some Courtney Love and then she saw him say this on TV and that really yeah it was a slap in her face of course.
1: <laughs> so, oh, yeah, that's a it, shame.
0: yeah it was really it, it was a dick move let's be honest about that
1: yeah yeah definitely and the, the whole um, yeah I, I i i like you said that this this the stories are sort of unclear especially the whole uh thing with courtney love i mean it 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 took some time before it really took off between them um They'd met a couple of times uh, already. So uh, you can imagine that it was sort of unclear, but yeah, you shouldn't be doing this.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure. And also, um, I think the reason that a lot of um, their stories aren't clear is because they've told a lot of different versions of the story themselves, especially Courtney Love, who has, I think, mentioned several Years and dates in, uh, on which she met Kurt, and the whole timeline is a bit fuzzy because of that. Yep. But it's for sure that they had met before. Uh, I think around this period, um, Courtney Love just broke up with Billy Corgan, the lead singer from the yep. Smashing Pumpkins.
1: Smashing Pumpkins, yeah.
0: Yeah. And then she, uh, she, uh, hooked up with, uh, with Kurt Cobain. And, uh, it's, it's, I think it's diff- uh, difficult to talk about Courtney Love because she's such, um, controversial figure and there's mm-hmm. so many stories and rumors and lies flying around a lot of them uh, well she she started herself uh, <laughs> but a lot of, in,
1: in true Kurt fashion
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely um, Kurt was known for telling stories and lies uh, very easily as well exactly. but then again there's a lot of people who really hate Courtney Love and so I think they used uh, the same tactics to, to put her down yep. so it's exactly. really really hard to um, differentiate the facts from the myth and the lies and the stories Yep. but uh, yeah
1: definitely so we will we'll not will not get into all of those details because i think they've been discussed enough from from lots of sides from the the, <laughs> the positive and the negative sides but yeah it's a uh, um, what's clear is that during this period um, uh, they met um, they met several times on and off whatever until they were definitely a couple uh, yes. but we'll get to that yes. later and that, that was
0: around this this period I mean uh, exactly yeah um, so uh, let's move uh, back to our uh, favorite country the Netherlands because yes. that's where uh, Nirvana went next uh, for uh, uh, a show and a, and a radio session this is, um, mm-hmm. And this is one of those sessions that went really, really bad. I think uh, <laughs> guys from exactly. the guys from the session were really happy to have um, Nirvana because they were like the next big thing.
1: We talked about that before. They had done a previous session um, in the Netherlands when they were there uh, years before, uh, which went pretty well. And this time uh, they took it bigger. Um, there were uh, multiple broadcasters involved in doing this session uh, the, the broadcasters from before and new ones so this was gonna be bigger and better and and they really had this feeling like oh yeah this is this is gonna be legendary yeah. uh, so they put a lot of time and effort in there and apparently, the presenter had made like a wish list of songs that he hoped they would play and they just threw it out, Yeah, (laughs) which didn't help.
0: Yeah, I I heard that they were at least uh, asked to play at least something of the Nevermind album, but they didn't feel like it. They came in, I think, really exhausted and without any inspiration or energy or motivation to to make something of it.
1: This was already like the end of November or something like that. So they would have been really tired um, already. Um, Yeah, it was November the
0: 25th. Yeah. Checked it out, uh, looked it up in my notes. Um, And and you can really hear that they were just screwing around. Um, Let's listen to two things. One of them screwing around and one of their sort of okay uh, (laughs) takes. (laughs) So here we go.
1: Virginia Yeah my mother's name is Virginia What's that? Virginia, huh? Virginia. What But she was born in Pennsylvania So there ain't no connection But she ain't no vampire Cause she wasn't
0: born in <laughs> Imagine those guys that were all excited to get Nirvana in there, in the studio to do a session with them, (laughs) and like the whole idea of the of the format was that people do um, like stripped down versions. It was like like an unplugged um, concept, and then the band shows up and and did this. I mean, (laughs) it's it's pretty horrible. I think. Here's another story about the, the two-meter sessions. Years and years later, Dave Grohl uh, came back to the same uh, program with the Foo Fighters. And then mm-hmm. um, they had on their, uh, on their um, list of equipment that they needed. They had put on a, a Mellotron, which is yep. a really obscure um, instrument. Yep. And the Beatles used it for the famously for the intro of a Strawberry Fields. So it's, it's a really obscure, uh, instrument and it goes out of tune really fast. And there aren't a lot of them around. So the production, they had to put a lot of effort in getting a Mellotron <laughs> in the studio. Then the Foo Fighters showed up and they said, huh, what's that? And <laughs> the guy from the production said, it's a Mellotron. You needed it. And, and they said, well, yeah, we always put it on there. We never get it. Wow this is really cool. Let's see who can <laughs> play it. <laughs> and so they just had to figure out how to play a Mellotron on the spot. <laughs> I, I think they did use it. But uh, um, yeah, I, I don't think the guys from the uh, VPRO uh, 2 Meter Sessies are that big of fans. <laughs> no. <laughs> and so um, want we'll to listen to uh, Where Did You Sleep last night as well from the same sessions. Yeah. Yeah, cool. sun will never I will shiver So I think this is the best take that came out of the, uh, of the sessions, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I can imagine that the guys from the studio were really uh, disappointed by it.
1: Yeah, yeah, this is, uh, um, this still sounds like as if you're listening to, to like a high school band and you're like, yeah, they, they, there's some music in there. It's not bad, but, I'm not sure yet if they're really good. (laughs) That's sort of the way this sounds.
0: And and of course, um, later they did this song uh, to close off their uh, MTV Unplugged sessions and it became like a a legendary song on their repertoire. But at this point, (laughs) they were just singing a pretty unknown blues song instead of one of their... Um, exactly popular songs of their album. It's, it's yep. it make yep. a lot and, of sense. And and also
1: a song that that for us in the Netherlands, um, like people in, in the US and, and perhaps the UK, there might be more people who know that, that song already, but over here we wouldn't have any idea what they right. were playing. So no. now we know
0: it because <laughs> of the unplugged album. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the best thing that came out of these sessions is um is that famous picture. There's this black and white picture yep. of Kurt with his headphones and acoustic guitar. Yep. That's, that's really good. Um, but that's better yep. than the actually uh, audio <laughs> recordings. Um, yeah, in fact, I
1: think they they had like 45 minutes of recording and only about 15 to 20 minutes that's sort of usable. So, yeah.
0: I, I think it was even less that was usable. <laughs> they, they, they did Where Did You Sleep Probably. Last Night, and they did uh, Here She Comes Now, and he fooled screwed around a bit, yeah. and I think that was
1: it. Yeah. 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 Um,
0: in, in fact, the photographer um, was so underwhelmed by the band that he decided not to go to Nirvana playing at the Paradiso uh, venue that night. Yep. Uh, I True. believe instead he went to the Ramones. Not hundred percent
1: sure. <laughs> really? Yeah,
0: I think so. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but then the Paradiso gig became legendary, especially in the Netherlands, yep. because then um, there was a whole different atmosphere and a, like a completely different band on stage, which was yep. actually yep, the, the same evening.
1: Yep. Yeah, that's that's still amazing to think that 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 was the same day. Um, just goes to show that sometimes playing life can can give you some adrenaline that you didn't have before. That I guess yeah,
0: true. And also there were, are some speculations that uh, they uh, they use some uh, chemicals uh, to uh, to revive themselves. Yep. <laughs> for that uh, for that show. But that, that that show is yeah, it's a really really good show. It's been um, yep. uh, recorded. I'm I'm still expecting this to be a, like an official release. Because there was a a, a camera uh, on stage, which, by the way, Kurt tried to push off uh, at one point. (laughs) The the cameraman and the camera uh, both uh, at the same time. Um, But so I'm I'm thinking there must be a professional audio recording of this. It's it's been bootleg. Yeah. So I still think that sooner or later we might find this to be released officially, which would be really cool if they, you know... uh, polish the audio a bit and uh, and uh, put it out. But we can still yep, uh, still totally listen to agree. it. So, so I have uh, two uh, songs uh, lined up. First, it's a um mm-hmm. in which uh, Kurt, uh, his guitar is really out of tune and uh, his mother seemed to be, if your guitar is out of tune then uh, sing even more out of tune. I think <laughs> you, you yeah. wanted that as a caption uh, on the, on the uh, <laughs> video. Uh, or On a Plane, which actually sounds pretty good. So it's up to you. Do you want something obscure and funny, or do you want just a rendition of On a Plane? Um,
1: Keeping in line with the entire episode, uh, I'd say uh, obscure and funny. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Yep. that's enough yeah that's enough <laughs> yeah
0: but believe us uh, uh, dear listeners uh, it was actually a really good show and uh, you yeah, already see was. that there was a hype around the band because everyone everybody wanted yeah. to get in and they were in a way too small venue for the status they had yeah. uh, at, that, uh, at that point
1: yeah and they they. Already been um, um, rebooked because uh, this should have been at the Melkweg, where they played previously when they were in the Netherlands. That was already too small, so it was uh, uh, um, uh, it, it went to the to the Paradiso, which is great because it's a more beautiful building oh. as well. Yeah, <laughs> so that's it's good my, for the it's pictures and, and the videos. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah we watched uh, the soccer there once together. Remember?
1: Right, that's true. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, don't, I <laughs> think it was the World Cup, 2014. Something yeah. like again. Yeah,
1: yeah but they had a big true. screen
0: on stage. But uh, yeah, but it's it's, that it's, it's a, yeah, it's an old church for people uh, who don't know it, and it's uh, I think it's one of the best known um, concert halls uh, from the Netherlands, and it's uh, it's absolutely beautiful. So if you uh, have the opportunity, yep. go uh, and visit the Paradiso. Um, that is, if the coronavirus isn't around anymore. Right. So then uh, Nirvana um, crossed back over to the UK um, to do um, some more shows and some uh, TV performances. Uh, yep. Here, here's another legendary one and also obscure and funny. They were booked uh, <laughs> to play um, uh, the Top of the Pops, which is like the big yep. um, music show from the in, in the UK. And it had like a really big uh, impact, I suppose. But. Yep. Definitely, the band was really uh, annoyed that they weren't allowed to play live. I think yep. first they were told to uh, lip sync the whole thing. They refused, and then the compromise was that the um, Kurt would do his vocals live, but the uh, yep. instru- uh, the instrumental track was pre-recorded. And so yep. they um, <laughs> they uh, <laughs> took the opportunity to uh, mess around with the. With the vocals and also with their performance. I mean, it's hilarious if you watch it.
1: Again, yeah. it's on YouTube. And, and they they made it abundantly clear that they were uh, not actually playing their instruments live. Yeah. <laughs> when you watch it, uh, you can see them uh, doing uh, really uh, bad playbacking with their guitars and whatever. Yeah, and really waving
0: fun. at it. And, and yeah. Um, yeah, well, on top of that, uh, Kurt decided to... Uh, to change up the vocals a bit and the lyrics as well, by the way. I think he's yep. singing the lyrics that were printed in some magazine of, by somebody who, uh, didn't really, um, got, got it right. Because at, yep. at this point, <laughs> Smells Like Teen Spirit was the big song, but the whole mystery was what are the actually, uh, what are the actual lyrics? So uh, yeah, people were, were guessing. Printed. Yeah. Somebody, yep. um, guessed it wrong and Kurt decided to, uh, <laughs> To use those lyrics uh, in a very uh, special rendition of Smells Like Teen Spirit.
1: Having sold over a
0: million records in six weeks, they're straight in at number nine. Here's Nirvana with Smells Like Teen Spirit. The clapping of the audience is also really stupid, by the way.
1: I hate that, that's that's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Load up on
0: drugs, kill your friends it's fun be, it's been She's overjoyed. Sad.
1: This, yeah, this is, uh, yeah, what I what I said before about the end, like the Jim Morrison sound, he's renditioning that here again, and also having that that bit of Morrissey in there, the way he's singing. Uh,
0: it's, yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it cracks me up every time. And it also shows that, okay, they were maybe a bit rebellious, but they had a sense of humor as well. Yep. Um, definitely. Yeah, a lot of people uh, tend to overlook that, because they were also really about frustration and Negativity and and stuff like that, but they could, they knew how to have a good time and have fun with, uh, with things as well. Um, which was also proven on, uh, on their next, um, um, TV performance in the UK on the Jonathan Ross show. I don't know that Mm -hmm. show, do you?
1: Anything about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's been, um, is it still going i'm not sure if you're from the uk let us know <laughs> i know it was a couple of couple of years ago it's it's basically a a, a um, lighthearted entertainment talk show with guests and and also some music
0: yeah and nirvana was uh, invited to, uh, to perform i think they were supposed to play lithium i think mhm maybe okay. yeah or i think so well maybe even snuskin at least one of their singles uh, yeah, but, exactly. um, without any, uh, uh, notification on forehand, they decided not to do that, but instead play their <laughs> loudest and noisiest uh, song of the album. So, uh, yep. here's how that went down. <laughs> This is so cool as well, uh, especially at the end, yeah. they just trash all their gear and walk off and leave everybody exactly. like,
1: totally blown away <laughs> by
0: what just happened.
1: Yeah. And uh, like I said, it's I, the show itself is, is pretty lighthearted. So this would have been a really big contrast with the rest of the show, probably. So, uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: Nice. yeah I, I think Jonathan Ross um, says something like well they're uh, available for children's parties and park like that. <laughs> great yeah. nice. So um, yeah I, I, I think um, this brings us pretty much to the end of the show uh, and to the end of the year 1991. Um, mm-hmm. but there's one more thing I think we should um, we should play and that's their uh, their appearance on a uh, Saturday night Live. Uh, yeah, back on, in the US. On, yeah, back in the US on January 10th of uh, 1992, because it really, mm-hmm. you know, um, really underlines their new status. Yeah. I, I don't know if we as, um, Dutchies can grasp the, um, the impact of being on Saturday, Saturday Night Live, but I think, uh, it's probably the biggest stage you can be on.
1: Um, American yep. television, yep. right? It's it's huge, and it also gives you credibility, basically. Not that Nirvana was lacking credibility, but having that uh, opening to the wide audience while still having sort of like the intellectual credibility that that show gives you is is huge.
0: Yeah, and it it suits them, I think. Um, yep. Um. Again, it didn't go all that smoothly because they refused to rehearse, uh, trashing uh, their gear because you know <laughs> they, they were known for that, and uh, the SNL crew really wanted to make sure that they got that right and uh, yep. that it was recorded right. But they they refused to to do that. I think again there was some debate about playing territorial pissings. It's one of their mm-hmm. songs, but they uh, they really were. Uh, uh, Stuck to that, uh, but they also played their big smash hit "Smells Like Teen Spirit," and luckily they were uh, allowed to play it completely live. So mm-hmm. um, let's listen to that and talk yep. about it just a bit more because there's a bit more to say about this performance. And then uh, I think we're uh, we're done uh, with this podcast. <laughs> yes, ladies and gentlemen, Nirvana. <laughs> I think that was the best uh, performance we've played this whole podcast. Yep, and, and like I said, well, we 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 picked out the really strange and weird things that happened uh, in these days. But I think it also says a bit about them as a band that when it really, really, really mattered, they knew yeah. when to step up their game and to the right way yeah. and not to not <laughs> exactly. not to mess things up, which they were pretty yep. good at.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, obviously, um, this uh, performance is also uh, um, noteworthy for the fact that uh, we saw Kurt Cobain with uh, um, pink hair for the first yeah. time. I, mean, It's a detail, but still, it's something that a lot of people uh, associate him with. Um, <laughs> so uh, that was uh, that added to, uh, to the myth, I think, of, yeah. of seeing them live.
0: Yeah, and one more thing that added to the myth, I think, is that in the Nirvana biography, heavier Than Heaven, uh, it's described that the morning of the performance, uh, Kurt um, pretty much uh, took an overdose and that Courtney Love uh, found him lying on the floor of their hotel room, more dead than alive. Although there are, again, some serious doubts about the story. Yep. I'm not convinced personally.
1: It's, uh, um, I um, without medical knowledge, it's hard to say, but having that in the morning and then playing like this in the evening sounds slightly, um, special, <laughs> say it like that. But whatever happened, uh, something happened,
0: at least during this period. I mean, yes, yeah. uh, um, drug use was spiraling out of control. Um... Yeah, they, they were known to have done heroin together uh, in Amsterdam. By the way, we didn't yep. mention that, but Kurt and Courtney uh, saw each other here in Amsterdam. Courtney was playing a show in Nijmegen, and then uh, hitched a ride to uh, to Amsterdam so they could be together and um, do drugs together uh, as well. Yep. So that those are, I think, I think the two most important de- important developments. Yep. going parallel uh, at one side and rising to world fame and on the other side um, spiraling down in drug abuse and, and uh, addiction. Yep. So I think that's that's the two things that, that really started to happen. And I think they both would get worse during uh, 1992, the rest of the yep. year.
1: Yep unfortunately yeah so this this is it really is a a um this saturday night live show is is like you said a a sort of uh an interesting midpoint of of both of those things like being a great band but also having those personal problems and those health problems and addictions and and being happy with being successful but also uh, having to deal with with the toll of of being that big, um, that all sort of sort of culminates around this period.
0: Yeah, and I, I think uh, there's a lot more to say about that, and I think we're going to do that uh, in the next episode of the Nirvana yep. podcast because uh, we've reached the end of this one um, because we're out of material and also because uh, my uh, one and a half year old daughter just woke up. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You, you were playing Nirvana too loud again.
0: It's <laughs> yeah, well, hard it's, hard it's on my headphones, I, I swear. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, it makes a nice segue into the uh, topic of uh, having a baby, which will come up uh, on the next uh, yeah. show as well.
1: <laughs> nice <Yeah>. link. <laughs>
0: but but <we're>, uh, thanks. <laughs> but before we're going to close off, um, I'd like to say uh, thanks to... Uh, Keegan and the Loud Losers from Melbourne, Australia. He uh, He's a listener of the podcast and uh, he wrote us an email. Uh, he writes, uh, hey guys, I hope this is the right account for the Nirvana podcast. Uh, well, it is. Our email address is surewoodpodcast at gmail.com. So um, I can get the, the confusion and the uncertainty of that. But um yeah, uh, if Keegan can do it, uh, you can do it too. So yes. if you want to reach out to us, send us an email. Um I hope this is the right account for the Nirvana Podcast. Anyway, my loud loser would like to say thank you for the podcast that you guys do. As soon as I heard that there was a Nirvana podcast on Spotify, I instantly went and downloaded all the episodes. Um, they are very fact-filled, and as a 15-year-old kid who is a punk rock band, who is in a punk rock band, I drew inspiration from Nirvana. And when you guys did the podcast, it was amazing. My favorite episode would be Nevermind Side A. Where well, you went through the first half of Nevermind and like only played the vocal track and then just played the bass. I love that stuff. So uh, thanks, Keegan, for, uh, for yeah, reaching thank out you. to us. It's, it's, yeah, and it's also really cool to know that 15 um, uh, year old kids are um, still drawing inspiration from Nirvana.
1: Yeah, it's great to hear, and, and I'm glad that we uh, can uh, add a bit to your um, Nirvana interests and uh, hopefully uh, get you even more interested in that. So, so great.
0: Yeah, and um, yes, a couple of more treats uh, with the separated tracks coming up because we've got some more uh, lined up for when we uh, discuss the In Utero album. Um, yep. That won't be anytime soon, I think, but um, we will get there uh, eventually. So just uh, stay <laughs> yep. tuned and it will uh, will come up. Um, for now, I'd like to uh, thank you, Jereke, uh, for uh, joining me again.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me once again.
0: And thank everybody uh, for listening uh, to this uh, podcast. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, talk a bit more next time. Thank you for listening and bye.
1: Mm-hmm. Hey, bye.